Hi, my name is Karen Payne, and I am the Director of Communications at Davidson United Methodist Church. We are here for our second episode of the Paige Turner Zoomcast. Um, I am joined today with um, Shane and Kevin. How are you guys doing today? Good. You know, what, you know what we need? We need like a theme song or something, you know, to introduce this. You know, we need like some metal, you know, to kind of bring this up. Because what Kevin would do is just, what, what would you put in here? Like Bruce Hornsby stuff? That would be yeah. good. We, we, I would, I would yeah, yeah. That. Like some classic, classic ACDC or, you know, something. Of course, there's probably copyright to that. But nevertheless, it's just a thought for you. Well, yeah, Kevin, I think that's something you can definitely work on for us. You know, we got to take this to the next level. <laughs> that's right. I'll you get should actually be at the piano. You should be recorded at the piano, just kind of <laughs> giving everybody like this solo. This, Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, my I'll God. <laughs> so do you guys realize that this is our 10th week of quarantine? It's been you know, isn't that the same length as what would have normally been summer vacation for the kids in, in, oh in school? Gosh. You're right. Yeah. Oh my God. And we now have summer vacation starting. Like tomorrow's our kids' last day of school. So now I have another 10 weeks. <laughs> yeah, and that just shows you how how deep into the year we already are. Yeah. Have you guys um learned any new corona skills? I have learned how to cut my hair. <laughs> I have not learned that yet, as you may be able to tell. Hey, <laughs> once we're able to uh, no longer have to do some physical distancing, I'll, I'll, I'll bring my clippers out. Thank you. I'm having to debar my daughter's scrunchie uh, to keep them up off my neck there. So Yeah. There's a oh. few flaws, but you know what? It'll pass. Uh, so there, there you go. There's my corona skill. That's awesome. That's something that will come in handy. New talent. Yeah. Kevin, maybe you need to get some uh, rubber bands or something. Maybe she can French braid it. It's about that length, yes. It's on Facebook about my full head of hair, which is actually nice at this age, since it's going back this way. So uh, that's why I prefer to be shot from behind on the live stream. Uh, um, it was interesting. I was watching a Zoom cast earlier this week, and um, someone asked the question. How will you be a better person coming out of this pandemic? And I, that question actually kind of stumped me because work-wise, I can think of a bunch of ways of how I've gotten better. But personally, like just personal growth and experiences, that one, that question keeps kind of sticking with me. And, I, and it's interesting when I talk to my children about this pandemic and that they're living in history and you know, when their grandchildren come to them and ask them, what was it like when you lived in the pandemic? Um, but I thought this was an interesting question. You guys have any thoughts as to how you think you'll be a different person after this? Go ahead, Kevin, you first. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I've had to learn to let go of control uh, and not just work-wise, um, but to let go of um being able to know when you can go to the grocery store and things like that. As a musician, we like to practice and plan and strategize and figure out how to play measure 17. Um, and that's just not possible. So I've had to learn to relax and lean into this sort of um, liminal space as we keep talking about where we uh, haven't uh, been able to move forward. We just have to be where we are. 
And so that's where I've, I've, I feel like I've grown there. I probably get better, but I feel like I've, I've made some strides there. How about you, Shane? I would say it's really related to what you said about a lack of control. And of course, it's going to sound morbid that I'm going here first thing. But as soon as Karen asked the question, I thought of, uh, I think it's Psalm 90. Uh, there's a phrase that says, uh, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. So I become wiser knowing that I am mortal. Um, and what I, what this makes me realize is we're out of control. We're subject to forces out of our control. We are creatures. We are creaturely. Um, our time is short. And so what really matters? You know, I the things that I was really, you know, about in my day life, um, my interests and hobbies, I mean, you could even talk about sports. Well, none of those things are accessible now. And what really matters are the things that should always really matter, uh, the times that we have with the people that we love. But it's just made me more aware of my own finitude um, and that I can simply relax into being the, the human being that I am and stop pretending that I can uh, control the outcomes of my life. That's a good one. Um, they actually were both really good and can relate to both of them. For me, I kind of feel like I didn't realize how busy I was until I had nowhere to be. And, um, and I remember on the ninth day of quarantine, walking, waking up in the morning and walking downstairs. And it was the first morning where I felt in a long, long time wow, I actually finally feel rested. Mm. And um, so for me, I think when we go back to the new norm, it's, it's again, trying to find time to be still and not be so busy. Um, although with three teenagers, that's kind of hard. It's kind of where we are in our lives right now is being busy. But I mean, for nine days to finally like be like, oh, wow, I actually feel like rested which was the first time in a long time. So yeah. And, and before we move on, I just want to say, yeah, almost. And I think I said this in a, a few videos weeks ago, but we're almost all having to live a kind of hermetic, uh, like hermits, monks, um, those who are cloistered, you know, we're not out and about, we're in one place. Um, and we're away from our primary distractions. And it reminds me of someone says that we all have to learn how to be bored. Like a yeah. part of human experience is learning actually how to be, bored. Not everything has to be stimulating. And um, I think we're learning that. Yeah. My kids can attest to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, um, it is the season of confirmation. We have um, confirmation coming up on May 31st. It will be Pentecost Sunday. Um, that's when we normally confirm or have our confirmation service. Um, as of today, while we are recording this, we currently don't know if we will be able to have confirmation um, on the 31st, just based on government guidelines and as well as our safety, making sure that you know we're safe at church. So that is something that we're still deciding on. Regardless, it's still confirmation service or confirmation time. Um, Shane, do you want to talk a little bit about just what confirmation means for the church? I would say briefly confirmation. If you break that word down, uh, confirm, firm, it's firming. You are 
firming something and confirming something. I think it was uh, Bishop Will Willimon. Uh, he was the former Dean of Duke Chapel, former Bishop uh, in the United Methodist Church. I can remember something like uh, when you, when you're planning a trip and you're at the airport, you confirm your flight. You're, you're making sure it's on the way to its destination. And so confirmation is a part of uh, an experience where we, uh, as, as young people, especially, uh, confirm that we're on the way. We're, we're still on the way with Jesus. What it would mean really theologically, it's, it's, it's confirming your baptismal promises. Kevin might have more to say about this, but we, you're, we are confirming exactly what happened at our baptism. Even if we were four months old, four weeks old, four days old at the, at the time, all of us were brought into uh, the family of Jesus. And all of us at baptism were then given gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so what confirmation is, is how I would make an analogy. It is a stirring up. What, you are now pledging that the baptism is sticking uh, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. I, and, and I am committed now to go on the way that started with my baptism, my life with Jesus and following him. And it is a stirring up, therefore, of the spirit's gifts that we have all received. So if you want to think of it as like you now sediment kind of falls in, you know, if the water is still, well, confirmation is when I, whether I'm 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I am making commitment and the church, therefore, by the laying of hands on you, is stirring up the Spirit's gifts within you so that you might now fulfill your mission uh, as a Christian uh, for the world. So that's interesting, those words that you say, because digging further. So we have, we've always had really strong confirmation class numbers at DUMC. Normally, we average about... I remember a few years ago, it was in the 80s, you know, we have 83 students. I think last year we had 63 students. Um, so it's like this great time for youth to declare that they want to be members of the church and they're going to, you know, what you just said, confirm their their um, mission in, in religion. So why do you think we've noticed for decades now that there have been so many young people leaving the church. It's kind of like we get them and we're all excited and we celebrate this. And then, you know, as they get older, after they leave high school and they get into college in their young 20s, the numbers start going the other way where now they're leaving the church. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay, sure. I mean, I think one thing, uh, what Shane just described, what confirmation is, um, I think sometimes we have a misplaced vision of what confirmation is, that it's sort of a church graduation. Uh, so you've done all your work. Uh, once you've completed the confirmation courses, you're, 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 you're set. You're good. Uh, that's really not what confirmation is. Um, and I'm so glad that Shane shared with that. I think um, what we're seeing in the, the life of the church of young people leaving has been has had seeds for decades and it was something that uh, really inspired me years ago. Um, interesting, there are lots of studies out there and, and, and we might get into that today, I guess. Um, you know, what's interesting is that the numbers are similar uh, to previous generations. People typically have always sort of faded away from the church after high school, but they've come back in when they wanna raise families. Well, what we're seeing in, um, I, I prefer to use the word emerging adults, uh, not young adults, but emerging adults. 
are in that 25 to 30, 18 to 30, excuse me, um, age range, they are postponing getting married or not getting married at all. Uh, and so things that would normally drive them back to the church uh, are not happening or job changes are happening frequently. And so what we're seeing is, yeah, on the front end, people are leaving the church at 18 like, like other generations, but they don't have that driving force back to the church. Um, to, to maybe Shane, you want to jump in here about some of these causes of, of why they're not. What, I, what I've learned and researched is um, maybe we need as the church to adapt to what we think the church is. Um, and that what the church means to me as a, as a Generation X uh, demographic is different than what a millennial or now actually Generation Z, we're, we're really seeing that at this point. So Shane, did you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, speaking as someone who was confirmed on a particular Sunday when I was, I think, 12, and then I think that was the last time I showed up for church <laughs> until, I'm, I'm serious, until I was about uh, 2021 when I had kind of a rededication of my life. And it r reminds me of something uh, another former bishop I heard said, I think this is back in the 70s or 80s, and he said to a group of clergy that the only reason God is calling you to ordain ministry is because God could not trust you to come to church otherwise. So, uh, <laughs> No, that's the only reason you and I are ordained because we wouldn't be in church. I shouldn't really actually say that. Uh, but I would say just from a, uh, from, it, it, there's a lot of things we could talk about. Right. We're not able to cover everything. I would say just broadly, it starts with the very philosophical climate that has been building up for 200 years. Uh, I'm, I'm invoking here, I think his name is Charles Taylor. But he says that we're now in an environment, really for the first time in human history that we can think of, that is uh, what he calls buffered, uh, where, where we have no sense of any kind of transcendence. There, you know, there were, in all cultures, it wasn't necessarily monotheistic cultures, even polytheistic cultures, there was this sense that there was something beyond what we can just empirically observe. And what has been happening over the last couple of hundred years is we are now buffering ourselves in, that there's nothing beyond it. And there's nothing beyond what we can observe from an, an empirical standpoint. And as a result, if there is a God, God is therefore really not associated with our world, with our, our time. It's just not there. Um, and so that what has replaced it is a rise in a, a scientific rationalism. Uh, and really, if you look at it, uh, the sciences now have become really what religious belief in the transcendent used to be, if, if that makes any sense. And um, another thing that I would say, and there's four things, I'll just leave it at, at two for now. So we're buffered in. There's really no sense of the transcendence or God being a part of our world. Um, and that, and then the second component of that is that we have reduced religious belief to the ethical. Hmm. So basically, religion just comes down to doing good, being moral. And for young people, if you're raised in that environment, uh, after a period of time, then religious commitment really doesn't matter. I just can be a good person apart from the church. Now, that doesn't solve all the issues. There's more to it. But I do think the reduction of Christianity to just the ethical alone has done real damage uh, to what Christianity is about, which is what have to be a topic for another day, but true union and friendship with God. 
Mm. And that's something that is actually well beyond uh, just morality and the ethical, because, you know, I mean, let's face it, can an atheist be a good person, moral person? Absolutely. Uh, uh, but Christianity actually transcends the ethical itself. There's a couple of more things I would I would also add, but I don't want to uh, be too long winded. But I would start with those two, although we could still talk about pluralism. We're introduced to so many other religions nowadays and frankly, the conduct of Christians themselves in, in certain uh, areas. But philosophically, I would start there. Uh, the buffered self, no sense of transcendence and the reduction of Christianity to the ethical. Um, I found an article when we were deciding that we might talk about this and um, it, it kind of ties into exactly what you were just saying, it was saying some of the reasons why. Um, and it was focused more on millennials. Um, can I just first say that when did millennials grow up? Because apparently they're now 23 to 38 years old. Like I had no idea they were that old. Um, so I was I was floored when I, that that shocked me. I'm 23 to 38. I just I guess anybody younger than me is considered a millennial. And to my children, I'm a boomer because I'm older than them. But um, but it does say in that article that I read that less than half, so 46% of millennials believe it is necessary to believe in God to be moral. So that's that kind of ties into to what you were saying there, and that. This was interesting too, um, that ties in. So they were saying that, um, they, this one guy that they interviewed, he was saying, we moved to a city and talked a lot about how we came to see all of this negativity from people who were highly religious and increasingly didn't wanna be part in it. So that was really interesting too, is that the church people are less tolerant of others and we're not very welcoming when we are the church and we're supposed to welcome and be inviting. And it seems like we're negative and we are not welcoming. So that, that was interesting too, to see that perspective. What about you, Kevin? I think that's, that echoes a lot of what I've seen. Um, you know, when I was starting the research uh, with the, the emerging adult choir here, one of the comments I heard is I, you know, I've received as much good, um, things from the, the books of Harry Potter as I do the Bible. And that's, you know, something to think about is this isn't just, you know, you name the, the, the ages of the, of the millennials. Um, they're no longer young adults. And they're, uh, they're, they model behavior, like Shane said, of older adults at this point. This is what we're talking about, postmodern right. perspectives here, where they get to choose, you know, I'm gonna choose my own news network that matches my views. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to choose the morality that, um, that 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 suits me. And there's a sense of choosing morality that suits me is so hard. I'm not going to impose that on anybody else. Uh, but what I found, you know, working with our emerging adults at Davidson is they still want to wrestle with these conversations. And, you know, when we went to do a, an evening prayer service at Crafty Beer Guys, one of the people that just showed up to have a beer that night didn't know that was going to happen. She said, I would love to be a part of a church that prays like this. So, I, I, you know, there are a lot of reasons to be sad about this, and these articles can um, bring us down as church people. But, man, we, we have lots to be excited about. You know, the, the, the number of people who have been exposed to church in the past, uh, that means there's some seed, seed already uh, planted there that we can water and, and grow. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to hear these words sometimes and read these articles, but I do think 
we have lots to be excited about if we're willing to. And, and, and in this time with the pandemic, it's teaching us what does church look like? For instance, choir rehearsals look completely different now for us. How we worship looks completely different. So maybe we can take this time to look at how we are the church in regards to emerging adults. So I'm actually- I think that's- cheerful. I think- yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the reason for that is because I'm using a, a 50 cent word because I can't think of another word. And it just means this is how we're wired. But ontology, I mean, our onto- we are wired for God. Human beings are wired to pursue the search for meaning. Now, what this means, of course, and, and young adults want to know. I mean, older adults want to know. We all want to know the meaning of existence. That's just how we're wired. But that does mean the church has a mission to be able to tap into that uh, in a way that can generate a faithful, committed response to it. The problem, and I, you know, Kevin, I, you, we, we talk about this a lot. The problem is, is that our, the theology that's mostly espoused by the young and even middle-aged adults, people our age, Kevin, um, uh, is called benign whateverism. We talked about benign whateverism or moral therapeutic deism. It, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as, as long as you believe in something. I, I really do think that if we can do it in, of course, a very charitable way, the church has got to recapture a sense of the particularity of the Christian faith. That is, well, I've referred to it, as you know, um, the scandal of particularity that God has revealed God's self through this man, Jesus, which means we need to recapture and claim some of the particular proclamations and truths of our faith because they reach the deepest recesses of the human heart. We are wired for God and we're wired for union with God and God has revealed God's self in this man, Jesus. Let's preach that. There's still power in that proclamation and you see it in the book of Acts. You know, this man, Jesus, whom you killed, God is raised from the dead and he is Lord. All these people convert. That's something that's got more teeth than kind of a, huh, doesn't really matter. The benign whateverism that's so rampant uh, today. And I think something that the uh, church has that we can begin to offer more. It's not just that connection with God, but connection with other people uh, through God. And I've, I, I really feel like that's part of what um, we can we can leverage or, you know, use to our advantages in the, in the Christian faith to, to highlight that. that um, and this is why it's so hard for us right now in the church. We are wired to search for meaning, but we're also wired to be in community with each other and care for each other. And it's hard when you don't see each other how to do that. It's much you have to make much more of an effort to do that. Sorry, Karen, yeah. I think you're going to say something. No, and no, I'll just say real quick, like, I, I do yeah. care to speak, but I do have that comment you just made, really a, one of my points on, all right, so how can, what can we do? What's, what, what, what can, how can we counteract this trend? But go ahead, Karen, I'm sorry. Well, stepping back. So I, when I was doing some of the reading and, and listening to you guys talk, can you be religious without attending church? Like, I'm going to go first on this one. <laughs> because, I mean, because the articles that in these studies that they were all referring to religious, religious, and I think some of them did have specific um, guidelines as to what they defined as religious. But some of them were, you know, that, that they were not 
um, reading scripture. They were not praying to God anymore. They weren't um, doing some of those things. But, you know, maybe maybe the young adults really are still religious. They're just not attending church. So is that two different things? Well, well, go ahead, Shay. Well, since I'm I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, I could could step into some deep waters. Um, I would say, is it possible to have a sense of God apart from the church? Is it possible to have an appreciation for faith apart from the church? Sure. But here's here's what I, I would doubt. Your religious belief will not have a total claim over your life. You are basically saying, I believe X, Y, and Z. I believe in God, but it will not have a total claim over my life and and determine how I will live my life. So I would say the person is probably the one who's calling the shots. And I'm just thinking out loud here, but Jesus, for instance, calls us into relationship with each other. He makes Uh, He is the Lord over us. He is claiming total uh, lordship over our lives. And he wants from us a response of total commitment, not because he's trying to displace us from being ourselves or to inhibit our freedom, but um, but so that we can immerse ourselves into the infinite, the the creator, the one who created us for himself in a way. Um, I think I've said this before, and I'll, I'll let Kevin speak, is that if we are trying to follow Jesus, for instance, apart from the people he has also called to himself. Um, We may think we're following Jesus, but what we're probably following is a projection of ourselves and calling it Jesus. You you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 uh, The reason I wanted Shane to go first, because it's such a hot topic, you know, it's what a big part of what the Protestant Reformation was about. What is their salvation outside the church? I think I would, this may sound like a political answer. I think it it depends on your definition of what church is. Uh, Can people be religious without going to church Sunday morning in the sanctuary, uh, you know, at 11 o'clock AM? I think you, you could say, yeah, I think so. But I think what I'm, I'm really drawn to is what does church mean? Um, and I think if we're willing to accept that the church can mean something completely different than what we were uh, trained in, steeped in. Jane, you talked about going through confirmation. You were at First Gastonia. Uh, and I know probably what that looked like because it probably looked like what I grew up with. But if we're willing to accept that church can look different than what we experienced, well, then, yeah, I think we can say there's there can be uh, you can be religious outside of 11 o'clock Sunday morning in the sanctuary of Davidson United Methodist and out at 12 o'clock. We're willing to accept uh, it can look like uh, a prayer service at night in a, a local ba- uh, bar or pub. Yeah, I think we can do that outside the church building, but not the church, the definition of what church is. I, and, that, that, and I would I totally agree with that. I would just say that there's a danger that you are probably in charge of it. You are doing religion on your terms. Right. And, um, you know, Jesus is saying, I you will do you will do this on on my terms and you will do it with other people. There's no way, for instance, this is just a for instance, we can learn to love our enemies apart from association with people who are antagonistic towards us. You see what I mean? There's no way you're going to be able to cultivate the virtuous life to which Christ calls us or a, a life that imitates him apart from 
the people he has called to himself. And so when we're baptized as Christians, we're not baptized into a personal, individual religious experience. We are baptized into a body, uh, Christ's own body, of which there are other members uh, a part of this. So it doesn't have to be a building, but it has to be with others. And they are going to challenge your own understanding of yourself. Religion as a bland category is I get to call the shots. I get to make the terms and I'll do it when it's convenient for me. Sure. And church so, is messy. Hmm? So I said church is messy. And so we don't yeah. like we, we want structure and order and definitives and what we talked about earlier. Right. Being in control, being in charge, top down leadership, um, self-made people. You know, I know the answers and I'm going to tell all these people below. Uh, but a lot of times we have to work together to figure this out. And Jesus didn't call individuals like Shane said. He called a group of disciples. He called people to wrestle. So sorry, Karen. Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, like maybe that's how young adults think is that, you know, I am religious. I just don't go to church. So kind of wrapping this part up is how do we get young adults or emerging adults back involved with the church? Like that's the million dollar question, right? That everybody wants the answer to. Well, I I want Kevin to start on that one. But before (laughs) we do. But before we do, let me just make one last comment. When you read the pages of the Bible, Israel in the early church did not have a, uh, they had a communal sense of self. They understood who they were communally with others. Whereas we kind of think I am, I am my own self-definition. So as all of us, and we're all in this environment right now of individualism, this kind of fierce individualism, we've got to reclaim the communal sense of, of Christian identity, that I am who I, I am, I am intimately connected to you um, and to and to Christ uh, through you. So I will let Kevin though answer. Well, like, what do we do now? What's the prescription? Go ahead. Yeah, what's the prescription? Give us the answer. Give us the fix. I wish there was a, a clear cut answer. What I would say is, I've been working at this church for over twenty years, and I've noticed a pattern that we expect. Um, a couple of things out of youth that we stop expecting uh, once they turn 18 and graduate high school. And one of those is for youth, we uh, we set up a, a, an accountability system, a mentoring system. We have youth group, we have Sunday school. Uh, in those events, others, others are responsible for, for providing content and delivering it. That's that top down thing. And then suddenly if you go to a, a you know, you turn 18, our expectation is, oh, well, you're in charge now of leading the, the, the lesson. You're, you should have it all figured out by now. Uh, my thoughts, uh, my research, my experience with the Scola group has been um, mentorship needs to still occur. I think one of the most dangerous things I've seen, well, not dangerous, that's overstating it. One of the most um, counterintuitive. We think, oh, well, let's start a young adult choir, which is what I did. Um, that was probably not the right thing to do, um, maybe initially. Or a young adult Sunday school class, we have one of those. But to make sure that these young adults don't get treated and uh, diminished and isolated, uh, because if we have, and I think we started off saying we maybe in the church have not prepared them to be faithful in their emergent, uh, emerging adult life, then we're not going to help them as they turn 18 if we don't stay invested. The other thing is a financial thing. We, I hear a lot of times people say, well, emerging adults aren't going to give money back to the church and become members. Uh, we don't expect that of teenagers. We don't expect that of 
when a child goes for a mission trip, we don't say, well, are they going to tithe back to the church? Are they going to be on a committee? Uh, so we need to, to lower that expectation. I think as an institution, we, the church, not just Davidson, but the church seems to see this as a transactional experience. Uh, we don't see that with youth, but we, we expect that with adults, emerging adults. And one final thing I think is this, again, back to mentorship as, um, is is helping these emerging adults um, grow in the way that we were mentored. And I think we've sort of figured they don't want to be around us. And if we're older than 35 or 40, and, and I don't see that um, or that we have nothing to offer them. Uh, they're so different. Um, we buy into that theory of millennials are ruining everything. You know, the <laughs> doorbells, you know, the doorbell industry is because millennials don't use them or whatever. Uh, to, to work against that. And so I think the answer from my perspective is we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to get engaged with them and not put them off in a corner. Uh, yes, I, I would add just a couple of things to that, uh, points that I did not think of until he mentioned them. Um, someone had said, why are young people not involved in the church? And the, someone responded, you've never asked them to get involved. Mm -hmm. You've never asked them to lead. You know, it's just, you're just recycling the kind of the same generation uh, and God bless them, uh, the same generations of people. And you've never really said, hey, you, young person, you, youth person, help us guide the vision of a church. So that's one thing I would say to that. We've got to ask them to get involved and they're willing to do it. Um, and mentorship, I had not really thought about it, but, but what I love about the mentorship idea is that it does demonstrate that uh, Christianity is something that you just can't do uh, right off the bat. It's like an apprenticeship. We don't know what uh, what a Christian is supposed to look like until we see it embodied. It's almost like a resident in medical school, right? You got to watch other doctors do what doctors do so you can do what doctors do. Um, and so we're going right back to the, can you be religious? Sure you can, but can you really be a Christian apart from knowing what it looks like? No, I would say not. You got, there's an imitation there. And that's why we need to always know the lives of the saints because they are so fascinating and they show us what following Jesus looks like. So anyway, I would say just a couple of things and it sounds obvious. If we're going to retain young people, it, it's just true that it starts at home. It starts, the home has always been understood to be the domestic church, the little church within the church. And Children especially tend to love what their parents love in front of them. And if we as parents, and you don't, you don't need a PhD, you don't even need to know uh, all the books of the Bible or have read the Bible, but if parents love Christ in front of their children and their children see modeled for them devotion, are the chances that those children will become youth and then young adults who are devoted? Yeah, I think so. I think that that is a possibility. I love fishing. Well, I inherited that love because my grandfather, uh, he modeled the love of fishing in front of me and I wanted to become a fisherman as a result of it. But I do think that parents have to take their responsibility uh, and they have a baptismal responsibility to uh, initiate their children, to uh, raise their children in a Christian environment. Um, and a couple of things that I will add to it is get the, the kids involved in the missions of the church. Um, they may not like to come to worship, but young people love to be out there feeding the homeless, being involved in food pantries. They will get involved there. And um, 
and to invite them in. Uh, so I think that's that's a good way to, to kind of get uh, young people to stick, get them involved in the justice of the church. And uh, the last thing I'll say is we need to reclaim the intellectual component of the Christian faith. We have a deep, rich, intellectually stimulating um, heritage, and we're not tapping into it. And yet the scientists and the atheists are tapping into the wonderful intellectual pursuits of, of, of the sciences. And so kids today kind of think, well, religion is for superstitious, dumb people, and I want to be a rational, smart person. And so when an atheist then comes to a, a young person and argues with them about why they should not exist, believe in God, they don't have an answer. And they just kind of jump to the conclusions like, oh, well, well, maybe this is not for me anymore because I want to exercise my mind. I mean, my physics prof uh, professor in high school, he didn't dumb it down. He didn't he didn't say, oh, well, you know, all this physics stuff. We don't need to do the equations. Just just experience the movement of the of the earth. No, I mean, he he got us into the details and it was stimulating. As a result, we have a stimulating faith and it's rational. And um, we need to recapture that. And, and we need to engage the mind of these youth and to show them that uh, religion and Christianity is not the enemy of science. They, they are actually compatible. Hmm. But um, I think we need to reclaim good teaching, you know, strong, smart teaching for these kids. And there are other things, but I don't want to get uh, you know, too belaboring on, on the point. I do want to just, I've, I should have said this, and I don't know if I did um, before we move on, is is the other thing about the mentorship. I think also we need to treat them like value partners, that it's not just, I've got the wisdom and let me teach it, but let me learn from you. Uh, these young adults see the world in a different way than we do. And to value that, and again, not not uh, segregate them, not treat them as less than, but valued partners. Mentoring, yes. Uh, as well, but also being willing to engage them as, you know, partners, not just, um, let me just do this for you kind of a thing. Sorry. Go ahead, Karen. I know you want to. Oh, very, very good. Now you guys, I think really had some insightful and helpful um, points to that discussion and, and maybe we can st slowly start turning things around for sure. Um, just to wrap things up with this um, episode, we did get a viewer question. Um, yay. Jenny um, wrote in or emailed in. And um, it's probably a question that's on a lot of people's minds these days. Um, what is the time frame for us returning to Sunday church look like? And when we do return, how will it change? Will we have limited number of people per service? Will we have to register kind of the same that everybody has. I'll, whatever Kevin says uh, we can open up is, is pretty much what I'm saying. I mean, that, whatever he says. I, I don't know. I, Kevin, do you have a response first? Sure. I mean, I think, um, first of all, thanks, Jenny. Good to hear from you. Um, secondly, I think we're committed to doing in-person worship really well in a way that's not so um, jarring. And so I, I can speak for myself. I'm not really interested in having a bunch of people come in and not participate in worship. 
I'm more uh, willing to wait and do the live streaming with all its follies and foibles until we're able to gather safely and able to participate and engage in worship. Um, I think there's a, there is, I know there is a team working on this and I think we're, we're moving towards a plan, but right now it's a moving target. Everything changes. Uh, it feels like every day in the middle of the day, I do know that we want to um, adhere to all the CDC guidelines. Uh, we've talked about limited number of people in, the, in this sanctuary, but we don't know what that number is going to be allowable um, either by the government or by the CDC or just by common sense. It's probably feasible that we're going to have multiple services with fewer people. Um, it's most likely going to be we're entering and entering, entering and exiting in a different way than we're used to. We're probably not going to be able to give hugs and handshakes. Uh, and these are all things that you're doing probably in your daily life too, uh, but it's going to feel jarring at, at the church. Uh, but I think we're committed to doing worship well in person and we're not rushing back to endanger safety or to limit or dumb down the worship service to allow that. We'd rather have good quality worship online first until it's safe together. Shane, what would you? I, I can't say it any better than that. Uh, that that's exactly right. Uh, we are going to also follow the lead of the conference, our bishop. Um, right now, the bishop is saying uh, no uh, gatherings this month. Now, we've got phase two. By the time most people watch this, maybe the phase two this coming Friday has already uh, unfolded and, and begun. Um, we don't know what it's going to look like and what will be a part of the provisions then, but we'll follow the CDC um, and our, our bishop because they're investigating all this as well. Um, I, I will say, I guess I will, I will end up going on the record. I would love to see us begin to gather sometime in June, maybe in a very slow uh, phased in way. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I, I do think it would be unwise to just open, let's just open the door and go right back to normal. Um, we're gonna do this in a way that allows us to love our neighbor because we're still gonna need to really be, uh, that's one thing we've learned about coronavirus is that, boy, this really matters. We gotta do the good of those, especially the most vulnerable and keep them in mind and do nothing that will um, affect them negatively in, in any kind of way. Um, but we're learning something new every day. So by the time people watch this, we may actually have a new provision. Um, but I would love to have something uh, in June, end of June, that period. Uh, but we've got to do worship well when we do come together. We have to do it well. Very good. Well, thank you guys um, for your time today. It's always always a pleasure to see you, even if it's on, on Zoom. Um, and thank you guys for everybody that watched us today. We appreciate your time as well. If you have any topics for us that you would like to discuss in the future, or you would like us to discuss in the future, or if you have any questions that you would like to um, be answered, please email me at kpain at davidsonumc.org. Um, we will also be putting these episodes on our website. It's davidsonumc.org, and it's under resources. It's under um, Paige and Turner. Um, you can find past episodes. We will be putting those there for you to watch. And we also have it as a podcast. So if you'd like to download that, you can um, have, have our podcast downloaded as well. So thank you all for joining us. Um, we hope to be back next week. Please stay safe and have a great day. Thank <laughs> you.
Yeah, now we just need to get that outro, some music with the outro. I'll, I'll be working on that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>